Now broadcasting from the Next Gen Conservative Studio in sunny South Florida. Bringing you the latest in politics, current events, and pop culture. This is the Whitfield Report with Sam Whitfield. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition. And uh, welcome back. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. I know I did. Uh, I actually, you know what? This Christmas, for a multitude of reasons, was one of the best uh, years I think I've had uh, in a while. At least uh, since it's been the best one I've had since before the pandemic. That's true. And I think it's true for uh, all of us, actually. Uh, just I noticed that there were, there was a lot more uh, cheerness going around this, uh, you know, this Christmas season. People seemed a lot more cheery uh, and not as, appre- as uh, apprehensive. Um you know, as they were in the past, like, I think, you know, on one side, for, like, the last Christmases, you had the, you know, the COVID Karens uh, and Ken dolls, you know, as I refer to the male uh, COVID Karens, I refer to them as Ken dolls, but you had the COVID Karens and the COVID Ken dolls, uh, you know, freaking out everyone, you know, saying, why are you even going out shopping? How dare you? Right. And then you had the, uh, you had the, you know, the vehement anti-maskers who were like, I'm not going to go anywhere. Even if there is, you know, if someone's wearing a mask, I'm not going in there, you know, God gamut because of the, uh, you know, because they want us to mask and I will not comply. And I, you know, it was just crazy the last two years uh, just with that and with all the uncertainty, uh, you know, of the holidays and, uh, especially after, especially after 2020, uh, after that election, when things were really, uh, you know, things were really looking grim, but this year, fortunately, everyone seemed to be, you know, in a really festive mood. Uh, things went smoothly on my end. I, I pretty much got everything I wanted, uh, you know, and then a few other things that I love, but I wasn't really expecting. So uh, that's good. I know that the holidays, you know, may have been tough for uh, a lot of people. And trust me, I I understand that. Uh, I've been there before, too. Uh, The holidays can certainly be emotionally taxing. Uh, for some people uh, at various times and other years the holidays can be wonderful and joyous and I'm just very glad that overall the holidays were uh, you know a pretty joyous thing I really am glad so today's episode folks um, I just kind of want to this is my final show of of, uh, you know 2022 i'm I'm hoping to do at least one more uh live one this coming thursday maybe um 
but this will be the last Tuesday edition of the show. And uh, I do have some housekeeping that I do want to do at the end of the show here, but I'll get to that in a bit. Um, in the meantime, though, I do want to catch up with, um, you know, a few things, both in politics and pop culture. One of the things that I want to, uh, you know, one of the things I saw uh, popping up all over social media, and it was, uh, you know, something that popped up about like a week ago, a little bit before Christmas, but I didn't really address it, uh, was this new information that the, uh, you know, that the CIA could have, in fact, been involved in the uh, Kennedy assassination. Now, folks, um, to me, this seems fairly obvious and straightforward uh, that the CIA was involved with the Kennedy assassination. Nothing new is really new here for me or for anyone who has been suspicious of the, uh, you know, the Kennedy assassination or the quote unquote legit story uh, for the past, you know, 60 years now. Uh, just like the Twitter files, right, this new uh, batch of, I guess, CIA declassifications pretty much confirms what most of us, at least in this audience, uh, you know, have known for probably all, all of our lives, at least, if you're around my age. And then for the older, you know, for the older folks like my stepdad, what they've all known for the entirety of their lives, you know, going back to the, the assassination, which was that something, uh, something stings here. Something's not kosher, right? But uh, Tucker Carlson, I guess, went over these uh, declassified documents uh, about a week or so ago on his show. Um, and I didn't have a chance to watch the clip admittedly um but i want to go through uh this at, with you guys and kind of give my reaction so this is from uh tucker caution's show let me see the date here uh, let's see here if i pull up the date okay so this this clip was originally uploaded on, let's see here. Uh, let's see. It just, okay. So it, uh, so this clip premiered on December 15th. So, um, not quite a week and a half ago. But again, this pretty much kind of confirms, at least from what I've seen, everything we knew about the uh, Kennedy assassination. A lot of people have been asking me to go over this, so let's go ahead and do that. Uh, so yeah, roll the tape. Tucker Carlson tonight. So not long after Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald on camera in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters, a lot of Americans started to have some questions about the Kennedy assassination. It was, you'd have to admit, a pretty extraordinary sequence of events. 
A lone gunman murders the president of the United States, and then, less than 48 hours later, that lone gunman is himself murdered by another lone gunman. What are the odds of that? It's one thing if you get struck by lightning, rare but possible. But if every member of your family also gets struck by lightning all on different days, you might begin to suspect these are not entirely natural events. But oh, replied the US government, they are. This bizarre chain of killings was all entirely natural. So less than a year after the JFK assassination, the Johnson White House released something called the Warren Commission Report. And the report concluded that while their motives remained unclear, both Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby had acted alone. No one helped them. There was no conspiracy of any kind. Case closed. Time to move on. And many, many Americans did move on. At the time, they had no idea how shoddy and corrupt the Warren Commission was. It would be nearly 50 years before the CIA admitted under duress that, in fact, it had withheld information from investigators about its relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald. But even then, at the time, before that was known, the government's explanation didn't seem entirely plausible, and some people started asking obvious questions about it. It was at that point, as Americans started to doubt the official story, that the term conspiracy theory entered our lexicon. As Professor Lance DeHaven Smith points out in his book on the subject, the term conspiracy theory did not exist as a phrase in everyday American conversation before 1964. In 1964, the year the Warren Commission issued its report, the New York Times published five stories in which conspiracy theory appeared. Now today, of course, the term conspiracy theory appears in pretty much every New York Times story about American politics. It's wielded, now as then, as a weapon against anyone who asks questions the government doesn't feel like answering. But despite 60 years of name-calling, those questions have not disappeared. In fact, they have multiplied with time. And here's one of them. In April of 1964, a psychiatrist called Louis Joylin West visited Jack Ruby in his isolation cell in a Dallas jail. According to West's written assessment, he found that Jack Ruby was, quote, technically insane and in need of immediate psychiatric hospitalization. Those are conclusions that, puzzlingly, no one who had spoken to Jack Ruby previously had reached. Ruby had seemed perfectly sane to the people who knew him. Louis Joylin West pronounced him crazy. But what, what West did not say was that he was working for the CIA at the time. Louis Joylin West was a contract psychiatrist for the spy agency. He was also an expert on mind control and a prominent player in the now infamous MK Ultra program in which the CIA gave powerful psychiatric drugs. So I want to point out here that I do kind of find it funny and humorous that the term uh, MK Ultra is now once again uh, being uh, kind of pushed to the forefront of uh, the lexicon. Um, you know, culturally, I know that Davy Crocco, um, no longer on YouTube, uh, exclusively on Odyssey, but still, you know, he's been on the show before. Uh, he and several others have talked at MK Ultra uh, for a long time now, and uh, you know, like even just five years ago, I remember if you brought up the term up at the term uh, MK Ultra. You know, even like a lot of quote-unquote, uh, you know, patriots or people who were searching for the truth, they would call you a, a quack for bringing up, bringing up the term uh, MKUltra. But this, in fact, uh, you know, 
It's being brought into the mainstream again, folks. So, anyway, continuing on. Drugs to Americans without their knowledge. So of all the psychiatrists in the world, what in the world was this guy doing in Jack Ruby's prison cell? The media did not seem interested in finding out. In fact, the New York Times, in an extensive 1999 obituary of West, never mentioned the fact that he had worked for the CIA, much less his time in Jack Ruby's cell, which seems relevant. And that could have been, and I'm not defending the CIA by any means on this, but the explanation for that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, could in fact be that that was not yet declassified. Uh, there were a lot of people who worked for the agency a long time ago during the Cold War. Uh, their information still has not been declassified. Uh, for instance, my step-grandfather, who served in World War II, uh, he was a, a tank commander at both the Battle of the Bulge and D-Day at Normandy, right? So he was a hero, obviously. And I spoke to him a lot, uh, you know, when I when I was uh, in my late tweens, kind of becoming a teenager. Um, I was interested in history even then. And I remember he talked about he talked about World War II a lot, hence why I've always been fascinated with this subject. But he also mentioned that he did some uh, work with the intelligence uh, community. And when I asked him uh, what that was, he said that he he still couldn't talk about it. And that was about like in 2007, uh, 2008, a year before he died in, in 2009. Um, and by then he was like in his mid 80s. But even then. Uh, a lot of those old spy masters, they took a lot of their secrets to the grave. So the, the New York Times in their defense might not have even known that this guy was agency. So you can see why non-crazy people would wonder about what really happened. And of course, many have wondered. In 1976, long forgotten, the House of Representatives impaneled a special committee to reinvestigate the JFK assassination. Their bipartisan conclusion? Jack Kennedy was almost certainly murdered as the result of a conspiracy. But the question is, a conspiracy by whom? Well, the obvious suspect would be the CIA. Why else would the agency withhold critical evidence from investigators? Is there a benign explanation for that, for maintaining this level of secrecy for this many years? Not that we're aware of. And it is illegal. In 1992, Congress passed the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act. And that act mandated full disclosure of all documents by 2017, 54 years after JFK was killed. The last administration promised to comply fully with that law, but under intense pressure from CIA Director Mike Pompeo, withheld in the end thousands of pages of CIA documents. Today, this afternoon, the Biden administration did exactly the same thing. That would be thousands of pages of documents after nearly 60 years, after the death of every single person 
involved, but we still can't see them. Clearly, it's not to protect any person. They're all dead. It's to protect an institution. But why? Well, today we decided to find out. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. It's hard to imagine a more jarring response than that. Again, this is not a, quote, conspiracy theorist that we spoke to. Not even close. This is someone with direct knowledge of the information that once again is being withheld from the American public. And the answer we received was unequivocal. Yes, the CIA was involved in the assassination of the president. Now, some people will not be surprised to hear that. They suspected it all along. But no matter how you feel about or what you thought about the Kennedy assassination, pause to consider what this means. It means that within the U.S. government, there are forces wholly beyond democratic control. These forces are more powerful than the elected officials that supposedly oversee them. These forces can affect election outcomes. They can even hide their complicity in the murder of an American president. In other words, they can do pretty much anything they want. They constitute a government within a government, mocking by their very existence the idea of democracy. As cynical as we have become after 30 years of watching government officials ignore the voters who employ them, we were shocked to learn this. It's not acceptable. Americans have trusted their government less with every passing year since the killing of John F. Kennedy. Maybe this is why. And people have known this for a long time. The people who knew would include every director of the CIA since November of 1963. And that list would include Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, one of the most sinister and dishonest figures in American life. That list would also include, we are sad to say, our friend Mike Pompeo, who ran the CIA in the last administration. Mike Pompeo knew this. We asked Pompeo to join us tonight, and though he rarely turns down a televised interview, he refused to come. We hope he will reconsider. Subscribe. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I have a few things to say on this. I, for one, was really not shocked to hear any of this, but to be honest, when it comes to the Kennedy assassination and the altern and the alternative history behind all that, I I've been into the Kennedy assassination uh, just as a hobby and whatnot. Um, you know, since I was a freshman in high school. In fact, uh, you know, very early on in the pot in the history of my podcasting uh, career. I'm not even sure if these episodes are on Blog Talk Radio anymore or if they got rid of them, but I had a friend, uh, a good friend, uh, Ryan Maltz, who would call in and discuss the, uh, you know, the Kennedy assassination with me. We, we were probably like 15 or 16. Uh, but even then, his theory was that the CIA was involved. My, uh, so, yeah. And also my grandmother, um, who was, you know, she was alive 
during the uh you know during the Kennedy assassination. She's eight eight now. Uh but she has told me on multiple occasions that she always believed that the Johnson administration at the very least had a hand in the Kennedy administration. So why am I bringing this up today after the uh you know, after the Christmas season, because it's not a very cheery thing to talk about, certainly, uh, the Kennedy assassination. Well, I'm bringing it up because it was brought up a few, uh, you know, weeks ago, and people asked me to talk about it, and uh, I hadn't gotten a chance to talk about it until now. Um, and then I also saw a tweet uh, today on Twitter from someone and I wish I had bookmarked it because I it really kind of uh, hit the ball home for me as far as, uh, you know, people are asking now, will anything happen um, because of this? You, you, right? Will... Will, will the CIA finally crumble? Will they finally go down for the assassination of Kennedy? And, uh, you know, folks, I believe that the answer is no. Um, and the reason being is this user on Twitter who uh, seemed to be very, you know, pretty much like a normie said something along the lines of, well, Fox News and Tucker Carlson are the only ones who are talking about, you know, these CIA uh, documents, right? Tucker Carlson is the only one covering it, and so is Alex Jones and all these, you know, crazy right-wing conspiracy theorists. If this were actually true, more than just Fox News would be covering it, right? And unfortunately, folks, that is a sentiment now that, we encountered a lot on the, on the internet. When anything out of the, uh, you know, ordinary pops up and, you know, people question it, there's always, you know, there, there's always a, a contingent of the population that will always dismiss, you know, people questioning things as a conspiracy theory. Or, you know, just crazy talk, right? I mean, my YouTube channel has gotten, uh, you know, multiple strikes for just mentioning uh, a certain virus of unknown origin, right? Uh, other channels, I mean, same with, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, questioning the results of a certain election, uh, people aren't allowed to do that. The point being, uh, you know, there is a percentage of the population that believes that questioning the, the narrative is bad. And if you do, you're just a kook. And unfortunately, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the people who are just happy to accept the narrative on everything are the same ones who think that, oh, you know, the Kennedy assassination, there was no conspiracy there. Now the, now the, uh, you know, now the major concession from the, from like the low tier, low information voter people 
uh, as Rush Limbaugh liked to call them. Now the low information voter crowd, this is the latest thing I've heard. Well, okay, the Kennedy assassination may have been a conspiracy, but that happened 60 years ago. No one is still alive from that time, so why does it matter? Well, first off, folks, it's that attitude that is so dangerous, uh, you know, to the country. And a lot of people have that regarding the Kennedy assassination. And number two, I'll tell you why the Kennedy assassination still matters and why the Kennedy conspiracy still matters. Because the people who are who were involved in the Kennedy assassination, or at least the institutions that these people have worked for, are still in power. They're still running things and in charge of our government. The military-industrial complex, which President Eisenhower warned against way back in the 1950s, is bigger than ever. They are incredibly powerful and they have a tremendous stranglehold over both the government and private industry and same thing with the intelligence agencies. And yeah, the actual people who were involved in the Kennedy assassination might be gone, but the institutions here in America are still operating. And if you think that they were abusing power then, well, we probably don't even know what they're doing now. They're probably doing things that we can't even comprehend. But we can't talk about it because we're just, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists. And again, this is kind of the same thing with the Twitter files, folks. Uh, you know, people keep asking, Sam, have, have you have you covered the latest Twitter files? Have you covered, uh, you know, have you, have you been paying attention to the latest Twitter files? And, uh, you know, I, I've, I went over uh, the first segment of Twitter files and the second set of Twitter files here on the show. Um, after that, Apex and really, to be honest, myself included, real lost interest in the Twitter files, at least reading them on air. Because essentially, the Twitter files proves that big tech's collusion with the government, we know. Basically, everything we suspected that Twitter was doing before Elon Musk took over, we now know that it did happen, right? I'm not discrediting the fact that it's been revealed. It's good that we know that that all has been confirmed. But my question now is, what is going to be done about that, right? Is Congress going to take any action Will any officials be called to Washington from Twitter uh, 
you know, to answer for this. Is this going to be, are there going to be uh, more, you know, serious investigations into what Google is doing, what Alphabet is doing, what YouTube is doing? Because I can tell you that Google, or rather Alphabet, the company that owns Google and YouTube, they have a massive stranglehold on data and whatnot. And if Twitter has been abusing their power, chances are Alphabet has too. Same with same with Amazon. Okay, right? I I'm an Amazon Prime, you know, member, like a lot of other people. I use Amazon, but they probably have you know, data that they're, you know, that they've been collecting on me that they've, you know, used for purposes, uh, you know, and I, you know, maybe even Apple to a certain extent. Apple is very private, is very privacy based. And, you know, usually I, you know, I'm very quick to praise Apple uh, because they are so good for the most part. Uh, but, you know, even to a certain extent with them, you just don't know these days. Uh, you know, big tech can be very abusive. And same with the, uh, you know, and same with the government. And I know that the audience that regular, that regularly turns into this program, I know you guys know that. But there, there's a certain percentage of the population that, you know, you can... You can share all this information with them and they just won't care, right? It's like the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them uh, drink, right? You can show the people the information, but unless they want to dig in further for themselves, you know, look into things for themselves, which some people do, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll grant them that. There are some people who, once you lead them down a path, they will look into more information, right? They're the curious types. And that's good that they're at least willing to, you know, look into things. But there are a lot of people who, you know, once you lead them to water, you can't, they won't drink. So anyway, that's my take, take on the, uh, you know, on the Kennedy thing. Uh, nice to have confirmation that, th that the CIA was in fact involved. But will anything come from it? I don't really know. So, okay, the uh, the next thing I want to bring up um, in pop culture news is Henry Cavill's exit from the role of Superman. Um, this was pretty big news that happened just before Christmas. And uh, long story short, Henry Cavill, ha who has, uh, you know, been playing Superman since 2013, um, he, you know, he's had a, he's had like a very off again, on again, off again relationship with, uh, you know, Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment. Um, as of late, and it was announced last week that he was uh, he was let go, I guess, from his contract as Superman, primarily because James Gunn, 
I guess, is rebooting the DC uh, movie universe from what Jack, from what Zack Schneider had created, and is kind of doing his own thing uh, now. And so, as a result, uh, Henry Cavill and uh, Gal Gadot are no longer in their respective roles as Superman and Wonder Woman. And we already we already knew that Ben Affleck was out as Batman. Um, and obviously Robert Pattinson is in that role now. And, uh, you know, the, the Batman movies are kind of doing their own thing right now, right? But as far as Henry Cavill and, and uh, Gal Gadot go, they are out as both uh, Superman and Wonder Woman. Now, there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, are saying, oh, well, Henry Cavill was let go uh, because of woke politics in Hollywood. And, you know, he's not woke, so therefore the studios, they let him go because he's against he's against wokeism and so is Gal Gadot. And, you know, that's why they were, that's why they were let go. And, uh, you know, as much as I love some of my fellow YouTubers in the pop culture commentary space, um, let's be honest here. The reason why Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot were let go, it wasn't due to politics, really. At least there seems to be no serious indication of that. Rather, um, because DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers are just shitty managers, basically. That's really what it comes down to, shitty management. And, you know, I know we look at Henry Cavill, you know, and Gal Gadot, especially the guys with Gal Gadot. I know that we like to look at both of them with rose uh, tinted, tinted glasses and say, oh, they, they were the best, you know, they were the best as, you know, Wonder Woman and Superman and, you know, there's just nobody else like them. And how can, uh, you know, how can James Gunn fuck them over like this? Right. And you have, you have a few, there are a few things I want to point out here. Um, first off, let me just say that Henry Cavill did a terrific job as Superman and so did Gal Gadot. That first Wonder Woman movie especially was probably the best, uh, you know, it, it was the, it was the highest grossing film and probably the, the most well-reviewed uh, movie of the DC uh, Extended Universe movies, right? And they did their jobs well in their respective roles. However, um, I remember that Man of Steel, one of, the, one of the criticisms for Man of Steel was that, uh, 
you know, Superman in that movie was too dark and too, uh, you know, it was too depressing. It was too Batman-like, you know, and Superman uh, was meant to be more uplifting and more optimistic. And, um, you know, I I don't necessarily think it was bad, but it was certainly a, a tone change. Um you know, that received mixed reviews, right? Batman v Superman. I actually liked Batman v Superman. I thought they did a really good job. Um, it, it did have some pacing issues and some writing issues, but I actually liked it despite a lot of people saying that it was, you know, one of the worst superhero movies ever. Um, Justice League was terrible at least the joss we didn't cut uh the snyder cut of justice league was excellent but as most people know the only reason why we even got that was because uh the fans had been you know basically petitioning that for years and it was a good cut and i'm glad that people finally got to see it but even that uh you know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, right? It wasn't. It was a bit clunky in you know some areas, especially with you know writing and length, really. So my point being is that the uh, you know DC's biggest problem, right? I think is that they've been trying to catch up to. Uh, Marvel for years and years and years at this point. Uh, Marvel, when they came out with the MCU, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all the way back in 2008 with the first Iron Man movie, they struck gold. And they built a, a universe around that. And... Well, I have said on this podcast, I think a lot of people are getting superhero fatigue, at least in the movies, me included. There's no denying that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least in its early days, it was basically unstoppable, right? They built a, you know, a cohesive universe that kept people coming back that at least in its early days had pretty good, you know, movies and pretty good stories and really fleshed out a universe that people enjoyed um, and told, you know, good stories and brought the comic books, brought Marvel comic books to life. And, you know, now they've kind of dragged the MCU out to the point where people are kind of like, okay, you know, this is getting pretty formulaic. Where is this going? Okay, oh, uh, uh, you know, another movie? Oh, okay. Um, you know, no doubt Marvel Studios has gotten a bit formulaic. People are starting to lose interest in it. I think a little bit. And again, that's just the whole superhero uh, movie genre fatigue I think people are getting. But like or not, Marvel has the, you know, has the formula and DC has just been trying to copy that. 
right? Um, and they've done so unsuccessfully. And, you know, like I said, Henry Cavill, great actor. Same with Gal Gadot. I mean, Ben Affleck, you know, he's had personal issues, but, you know, he's pretty, he's a pretty decent actor and a big name. And they let him go as their Batman. And when that when that happened a few years ago, I, I knew that they were in trouble. DC, when it comes to the movies, they're playing catch up to Marvel, right? And they can't afford to, uh, you know, keep doing that. They have to reinvent the wheel, the wheel, somehow. So I guess that's what they're going to try and do with James Gunn. And to be honest, I can't really say that I'm that optimistic. Um, I know that James Gunn is directing, and he did. He really did a good job with uh, the Peacemaker series on HBO Max, but let's be honest, uh, the Suicide movies that he did, the Suicide Squad movies that he did are are not that great. And so, again, I, I really hope that DC is not just trying to copy Marvel, that they actually do something uh, creative, but we will see. Uh, in the meantime... As for what is going to happen to uh, Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot, uh, I know that Gal Gadot has like a project uh, coming up for some Netflix show. Uh, I haven't seen too much about it, to be honest, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what her other, uh, you know, what she does outside of Wonder Woman. Uh, she she was okay in the last Fast and Furious movie, and I don't really even like those movies, but she was, she did okay. Um, as far as Henry Cavill goes, there are rumors that he's going to be the, the next James Bond. And to be honest, I didn't really see at first because I thought, well... He's already playing Superman, and he's already playing, uh, you know, Geralt in The Witcher. But since he's been uh, basically cut from those two projects, and the future of James Bond is up in the air, honestly... I think that Henry Cavill should be heavily, uh, you know, considered for the role of James Bond. He really does. I I don't want to say he looks like Sean Connery, but he does kind of have Sean Connery's, I guess, swagger. Um, And he looks very much like how Ian Fleming uh, originally illustrated him. So I think Henry Cavill would be a good choice. If they bring in Henry Cavill as James Bond, uh, I would personally like to see 
Gal Gadot in a Bond movie, actually, and more specifically, uh, one of the James Bond novels from the 1980s features a, uh, a you know a villain who is a woman, and she's a femme fatale for James Bond, and she's an she's an ex Mossad agent who basically. Um, you know, she turns against the Mossad and turns against the Western world. And, uh, you know, she has this actually pretty sinister, uh, you know, conspiracy. And uh, she seduces James Bond and really fucks with his head, you know, in addition to just fucking him in general. But, it, but it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty good plot, actually. Uh, think of the Bond villainess uh, Zenny Onatop, except instead of uh, you know being a just a henchwoman, think of that, but with uh, you know being the femme fatale mastermind of the uh, of the movie. That's kind of where I see uh, you know Gal Gadot, her playing a Bond villain. I think a Bond villainess. I think I think she could do it, and I think. I think it would actually be a you know a surprising twist uh, to see a you know a Bond villain be a woman, but of course in uh you know today's present day Hollywood, I'm not sure if we'll get that or not. But hey, that's just kind of my wish. I don't know if it will happen. So uh, I don't have anything too much to cover. Uh, one last thing I do co- kind of want to cover, though, folks, is a little fun uh, Easter egg that I un- uncovered uh, kind of in podcasting. So people have uh, kind of asked just in general on the internet for years, why does Howard Stern... Uh, you know, and Joe Rogan, why are they always kind of feuding? It always seems like whenever Howard Stern pops in the mo- up in the news, it's because he's bitching about uh, Joe Rogan and, you know, Howard and Joe Rogan doesn't really pay, you know, doesn't really address Howard Stern at all. You know, he'll, he'll be asked at Howard, but he won't really bring him up at all. And people have often wondered why that is. And uh, I found a, uh, you know, quick, I guess, 30-minute documentary on YouTube about uh, this very thing. So let me go ahead and share the screen once again. So, okay, so... This comes from a uh, channel by the name of Two, the number two, Lazy to Try. Um, and I will link this video. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll link it in the, um, you know, in the title card somewhere. And if you're listening on uh, Spotify or the podcast players, I'll link this in the show notes. But long story short, there's a YouTuber who kind of chronicles uh, the history of Howard Stern and uh, Joe Rogan and kind of their feud. 
I'm not going to play the whole entirety of it, but I think it's worth playing a little bit of that at least. I'm going to be talking about Joe Rogan and his relationship with Howard Stern and his time on the Howard Stern show because I'm sure most people are aware that Howard isn't the biggest fan of Joe because it seems like the only time he's made headlines in the past few years is when he criticizes Joe and his podcast and his political takes and his takes on coronavirus and all that kind of stuff. But unless you really know your Joe Rogan or Howard Stern lore, you're probably not aware that Joe Rogan and Howard have had a pretty tumultuous relationship for almost 20 years now. And that's what we're going to be checking out today because I thought it was pretty interesting looking back on it, knowing what Joe Rogan has become, like the top podcaster of all time, and knowing that Howard Stern is probably the top broadcaster of all time. And these two were each a big fan of each other, and Joe was a regular guest on the Stern show in the early 2000s when it was a big deal to go on there. Like going on there back then was probably like going on the Joe Rogan experience today. So it was a pretty big deal for Joe to be going on there consistently. And it seemed like he was a good fit on the show. People enjoyed him. It seemed like Howard enjoyed him. But that didn't last very long, and things soon took a turn. So before I really get into it here, I just want to give this Reddit user credit. This user, Cormano, he made a whole post about Joe and Howard's relationship and his time on the show and everything. And he even linked some audio clips I'm going to use. So big shout out to this guy because I was looking for more information on this because it's really hard to find any audio or footage of Joe on the Howard Stern show. But this guy found some of the best moments. And what I'm gonna start with here is Joe's first appearance on the Howard Stern show, which I believe was in 2000. And that's right after news radio ended. And it's a year before Fear Factor started. And what really got Howard's attention was this sketch that Joe and Brian Callen did. Andy says I got a flat ass. What? Fuck that bitch. She said that? Man, fuck her. You got a great ass. You really think so? Yeah, man. Don't fucking listen to her. Turn around. Let me see your ass. Oh, man, that's a great ass. Yeah? Yeah, it's round and muscular. Look, let me see. Like, take your pants down so I can really see it. Okay. So, what do you think? Mikey. That is a great ass. I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> Look at yourself. You're tripping over yourself here. Standing here with your pants down by your ankles like a fucking moron. Just take them off. <laughs> yeah, I guess it looks kind of stupid, right? Yeah, you're going to trip and break your fucking head open. <laughs> All right, let me see again. I bet I couldn't even fit my in your ass. That's how muscular it is. Ah, come on. I'm serious. Look. I'm actually not totally sure that that was a sketch. That might have just been a reality right there. And of course, Howard joked about that when Joe went on the show. But like I said, this was a big moment for Joe because the Howard Stern show was insanely popular. This was when it was close to its peak. And Joe's appearance was a good one. It was only like 20 to 25 minutes, but they talked about a lot and it was really entertaining. And obviously Howard enjoyed him on there because he brought him back on a bunch of other times. And I think he might have, I think All Joe right. might have been in the running for Jackie spot. I'm not totally sure. But this is also right before his career really took off and he got the hosting job on Fear Factor. A lot of people don't know your name though yet. You're on the verge of breaking, right? You know what I am? I'm that guy, people see you down the street and they go, hey, didn't we go to school together? I go, no. <laughs> yeah, they don't know no. why they know yeah, they go, Where don't do you. Where do I know you from? I, go, I don't know, dude. Don't you, uh, are you famous enough now you get into the Playboy Mansion and stuff like this? Uh, I would never. I think, you know, that's got to be one of the most boring things in the world. You would never go, right? No. 
You don't want to look like some horny guy. I think it's kind of creepy. So that part at the end there where they're talking about the Playboy Mansion, that's definitely some foreshadowing because only a couple years later when Howard was doing a show in Vegas where Joe was one of the guests and the night before, apparently Howard was going out to one of the strip clubs and Joe was also there. And then on the show the next day, Howard and pretty much all of his crew were talking about how they were a little taken back by how Joe was talking about and talking to, I believe, the strippers. And sorry for this audio quality, but this shit is really hard to find. And I look how look how young if you're uh, watching. Look how young Joe Rogan is there too. He's even got like hair and uh, whatnot. Wow. I think this is the best we're gonna do here. I remember seeing this on YouTube like four or five years ago, but now it's not on there anywhere. I don't know if that's because of Vent Pixels or because of Howard Stern. But I figured I'd just walk in there and uh, not really know anyone. Everyone was there from the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a big appearance there. Well, what? Yeah, already had an appearance here, and Stuttering John has one there tonight. But uh, Joe Rogan, you see, you try to act like you're above the strip club. Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. How am I trying to act like I'm above it? You should see this guy's I'm trying to act like I'm above it. Well, I mean, you're like, oh, these girls, uh, they, they don't what? like me. They're they're not. Not. What are you talking about? Yeah. No such thing. All right, I, I thought you would. And then I always see you sitting there. What are you talking about? You know what? <laughs> you're making this up. Joe Paradise is perfect. Joe uses the word whore about 20 times an hour. Yeah, he goes, yeah. oh, these whores are sending the other. No, Meanwhile, no, you love these like, girls. I don't say it that way. Yeah, you know how it's <laughs> I think you're angry with women. Well, he does that whole routine about the girls who are, are, are angry because he's using a dollar to get them to take off their clothes. Yeah, yeah. that is a good routine. I'll be using a bumblebee costume for that later. <laughs> when we were at the pool, Howard, you know, Joe looks at me and goes, look, these are lower shelf hookers here tonight. Oh, really? <laughs> They were lovely girls. Oh, stop, Howard. That first crew was rough. Come on. You think, you think because a girl takes her clothes off and dances that she's a whore? No. She's not. not a whore? Yeah. This is girl. Bottom shelf whores is what he said. That's what it was. The first crew. What did I say? Fairfax guy. Look at you, you Fairfax guy. You're just paranoid of women. Look at you. You were so mean yesterday. You were mean. How was I mean to you? It's crazy that Howard is saying this stuff. Like right after this, they play Butterface, where they bring out girls who have like really nice bodies, but their face are just like busted, and then they just roast them right to their face. So if he's calling you out on this shit, it's not a good look. Or maybe he's just being a hypocrite. I don't know. But it sounds like everybody was a little freaked out by it. And again, this is like 20 years ago, so I really don't want to make a big deal about it. I mean, if all this is true, it's possible Joe's changed. Like I doubt he's still saying shit like this. But I just want to show this stuff because this is kind of the start or the beginning of the end of their relationship. And things only go downhill from here because Howard keeps digging into Joe's personal life, which is obviously part of the show. Like if you're going on there, you know he's going to try to reveal like the darkest shit possible. Like that's what makes it so entertaining. And Joe doesn't seem like the person that likes to air out his dirty laundry. And he's not looking to be involved in any kind of drama or anything. And I'd say even Howard might have taken things too far, like he does usually, like most of the show is him taking things too far. And as you'll see later on, he never really lets the stripper thing go. So that was like the real catalyst. All this other stuff, I'm sure this just added to it. Like on one of the shows, when Joe was sitting in, Howard brought in Joe's ex, who was a girl that was on Survivor, I believe. And she might be an actress or something too. And she revealed that Joe cheated on her. Those are old so... Uh, yeah, I got, I got as far as that, uh, as this part of the thing last night. I haven't watched the whole thing, but 
if you're a podcast guy or a, or a radio guy and you enjoy this type of like deep, you know, podcast slash radio lore, uh, then you might enjoy this too. Uh, I certainly did. So again, I'll, uh, I'll link this video in the, uh, description, um, you know, so that everyone can go and watch this. Uh, a big shout out to Too Lazy to Try. And uh, yeah. So, anyway, if you're into radio lore and all that, this is pretty interesting, I think. And uh, yeah. All right, folks. So, that'll do it for the Tuesday show. I want to thank everyone for. Uh, you know, tuning in to today's program and uh, wherever you're listening in the past, present, future hour. Uh, hopefully I'll be back on Thursday, I think, for uh, one final show of the year and maybe we'll get some panelists. Uh, who knows? So hoping to do that. Um, and uh, as I said, quick uh you know housekeeping things here at the end uh not much is changing as far as the format goes uh for the show but i will be doing the show three times a week now in 2023 um so i'll be doing the tuesday show the thursday show most likely those will be pre-recorded um you know unless i give notice otherwise and then, as always, we'll do the live show on Saturday evening. So we're doing three shows a week. And plus, uh, you know, I'm hope hoping to do some more exclusive content for the Substack as well. Talking about various topics and whatnot. More specific. All right, folks. So without further ado, I want to thank you for listening and, uh, and or watching. Have a good day or evening, wherever you are, and I'll see you on the next episode, folks. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Whitfield Report on the NGC Network. Please visit Sam's website at www.thesamwhitfield.com and support Sam on Patreon at patreon.com slash Whitfield Report. Until next time, God bless, God save this great nation, and God, freedom, legacy, in that order.